0: Written in 1823, over a hundred years ago, and it was based off of a verse in Lamentations chapter 3. And in the first half of the chapter, the writer is just angry with God for everything he's put him through. And in the second half of the chapter, he's praising the Lord and he's just exalting him. And right in the middle is this verse Steadfast is the love of the Lord, it never ceases. His mercies are new every day. we thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you for sending your son for our deliverance and for our salvation. Lord, we give you praise and honor and glory and we raise you a thousand hallelujahs. Thank you.
1: We just pause and just rest in his presence. Maybe this morning the lyrics. one of these songs has really resonated, resonated to the point of even being a prayer of a cry out to God. Maybe it's his faithfulness that you're craving this morning. Maybe it's to remember that he reigns or as we get into singing even more about crying out for his hope peace and his faithfulness and his love so I just want to create space right now for you able to just declare your prayers verbally and to fill this room with prayers of praise of crying out of pleading of gratitude. that you are peace that you are love
2: It's like not my story.
3: Welcome to Camreal Community Church. My name is David Hurtado, in case you're new to us and I'm new to you. Uh, So glad you're with us today, whether you're online, on the patio, in the video venue, or in the building, you are welcome here. I have to make an apology. Uh, Last week, uh, if you weren't here, I did preach in full 49er gear, had a 49er jersey, had 49er shoes, 49er socks, and uh, we got some bad Google reviews on that. Um... And a couple of emails. And so I kind of, you know, paired it back a little this week. All I brought this week was this one little thing. And uh, I'll just put it right here because we are in the playoffs, um, unlike some other local teams. Can you see that? Yeah. All right. And we need your prayers because everybody in the world is saying we're going to lose this game today. And so, uh, you know, there's one California team left. And so let's pray together. And that the, you know, righteousness of God would prevail and the blood of Jesus, 49 or Red, would win today. Amen? All right. No amens on that. All right. Hey, listen, we're so glad you're with us. I'm just gonna leave that there, the whole message. Uh, first time ever, uh, and uh, that's classic, I love it. Um, and and uh, a couple of things before we get started, we're gonna jump right into 1 Samuel as we've been in the series. Uh, but one thing that I need to let you guys know of is that we're gonna be making some changes, some shifts around here in the next coming months. Uh, we're gonna go back to what we're calling some pre-pandemic norms. Before COVID, there was a normality to what we did around here, and we're gonna be shifting, be shifting back to pre-pandemic norms. Let me explain to you what that means. We have noticed that um, anywhere from 25 to 30% of our church uh, participates with us online every week. Uh, That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. We're thankful for that that mechanism to be able to do that. And we believe there will be more engagement with God because of it. And so we've made enhancements to it. That's why you see people on the stage with cameras. That's why we have all these cameras and all these different things that kind of enhance the quality of what we're doing. We actually have a new enhancement. I can't tell you what it is. But it's coming really soon for those of you folks online who are watching right now, because we want to continue to make that better and better. But with that being the case, at about 25% any week will be at home, uh, and it's not the same people every week. Like some of you will come one week and then go home and stay home, and, and it's kind of one of those things. It uh, just becomes another service option for people. Um, because of that, it, it makes us feel kind of spread out in the building. And so what we're going to do, because we think it's uh, better for us to be closer together, uh, to worship God together in unity, and we see the engagement go up in worship when we're closer together, there's a couple things we're going to be doing. Uh, One thing uh, will be in the next couple months, we will close the balconies and ask everybody to sit on the floor again. We'll bring back the center covers, uh, the the center area covers, uh, and we'll ask people to move forward. We will, however, keep two rows available in the back under the balcony because Uh, We understand there's some uh, DB level uh, little difference there, so if you enjoy that being kind of suppressed, you can be back there. And then for those of you who love the kind of DB level, uh, you know, fullness of sound in the balcony, we're going to make sure that we have that on the floor as well. And so we'll be doing that together, as well as we'll be bringing back... um, kind of different service template plans. You might, guys who've been here for a couple years will remember we used to do back-ended worship a lot. We used to do like a a worship sandwich, beginning worship message, and then back-ended worship, or just all worship in the back, or all worship in the front. All those templates will be coming back. We have learned uh, through that pre-pandemic time that that helped us all get to church on time, (laughs) not knowing when the message is. And so we're gonna bring that back. Yeah, we'll laugh together. Bring that back and then ask you to get here a little early, put your kids in, get in the area. We might ask you to scooch in towards the center a little bit because when people come in late, they don't want to you know, walk in these areas. They feel uncomfortable. And so we'll try to keep the side areas. And again, bring us close together so we can worship together. We find engagement goes up. For some reason, when I see somebody else worshiping, it makes me want to worship. And for our guests, probably the biggest one for our guests, they don't go, wow, um, I wish I could say hi to somebody, but they're 15 rows ahead of me. And so, uh, the nearest person. So we want to make sure that our guest's first impressions would be good as well. So that's coming up. It's not today, not next week. In the coming months, I just want to let you know that it is coming our way. All right? Uh, with that, let's get started. I think I want to start today by just admitting to you that I'm the guy, um, uh, you know, that, that you know, kind of misses airplane flights because he thought he had enough time to go to the through the McDonald's breakfast drive-through. Uh, thank you. I was hoping somebody else in the world is anybody else like that? Like I think I can get my McDonald's breakfast sandwich and still make my flight. True story, it's happened, and JetBlue was not nice and kind, and I lost my flight. I mean, I'm the guy that does that kind of thing. I always think I could do more with the time that I have than I actually can, and I can find myself getting in trouble uh, like this. Anybody else? Any, anybody else have issues? With? Okay, one person. Thank you, Brittany. You're awesome. Everybody else here is not as godly as you. How about them apples? All right, here we go. I'm the guy who's missed train departures, uh, shuttle departures. Uber departures, like you set up the Uber, and then I miss it. You know, ferry departures, flight departures, all usually because of the best of intentions. I'll have to say that. I always have good intentions on whenever this happens, but it has happened quite a few times, as you can see. Uh, I remember the time where I arrived late, uh, an hour late, uh, to pick up my significant other from the airport because I thought it would be so cool to surprise that person with a, like, car washed and detailed car. And it's a great intention, but it made me an hour late. Didn't figure that into the plan so much. Uh, you know, always having good, great intentions, I have found myself to find myself in trouble sometimes, and actually find myself in situations where I'm praying for the mercy of God in this situation. For instance, like, please, God, let her not be mad at me. Please, God, let the plane be late. Wouldn't that be great if I'm late on the same day, the plane's late? Like, that'd be awesome. Please let me find a parking parking spot that's super close so I don't miss my train again. Uh, Please, God, let the TSA uh, line be short so that so that I can get through to my, my plane and not miss it. And, and if it is long, let some nice lady let me cut in line because she's worried about me missing my flight as well. Uh, I remember a time, I can imagine if this is like my, you know, you know I'm confessing to you, if this is kind of like my, one of my shortcomings, you can imagine how good I felt about myself one day when I ended up at the Burbank Airport one hour early for my flight. Like that's what, That's what they say to do. Like they say to be an hour early, right? I always thought that was a suggestion. Two hours? Yeah, right. Never doing that. Never doing that. All right, and so... I end up an hour early, and I'm talking about at the kiosk at Southwest an hour early. That means I like had to get even earlier because I had to park my car and take the shuttle to the Burbank. I mean, like I'm I'm like riding high on life. I'm I'm thinking about things I never think about. Like usually when I'm going from the TSA and running to my gate, putting my belt back on, you know, and I see all these people having like lunch in these little restaurant things in the terminal. Like I'm thinking, hey, today I might sit down at a terminal, those restaurant terminal thing, terminal restaurants, and having a little partake in in some. French fries or something because I'm early, right? Feeling really good about myself, and I go up to the kiosk. This is back when you didn't have it on your phone, and uh, and I just want to print out my boarding pass. And I punch in the number, flight eighteen or seventeen eighty four, and it says there's a problem. It gives me an error message. I go, whatever, I'll just go up to the counter. So I go to the counter, go, hey, hey, Southwest, you know, agent. Um, You know, there's some problem. And then she's typing in and she goes, oh, there's no 1784. I go, well, great. Then put me on whatever flight they changed it to because I so clearly bought my ticket. I know that there's a flight, 1784. Uh, I got it right here on my phone for proof, right? And she's going, she goes, oh, I found it. Oh, of course you found it because I have my flight. She goes, yes, your flight is leaving in one hour out of LAX. Now, again, I, <laughs> that's a true story that actually happened. <laughs> it's a true story. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I mean, I'm used to praying for a lot of things. Lord Jesus, give me a parking spot and help me run to the terminal. Please let it be like terminal number three, not number 27. That's way down that way. You know, all these TSA lines. I'm used to praying for God's mercy, but how do you pray on this one? Like I'm in Burbank and the flight's leaving in an hour in LAX, Like I could pray for like, you know, Lord, let there not be any traffic or, or, or spare me from a car accident from all the reckless, reckless driving I'm going to have to do to try to make that flight. You know, uh, and, and, or maybe at least could you please let them find me another flight that leaves later at LAX and, and not charge me for it. Well, I have to say, I know Southwest has come under a lot of fire in the last month or so for all the shenanigans that they went through, but they, they scored points with me on this one. The lady said, but no problem, Mr. Hurtado. What we'll do is we'll cancel your flight, your flight in LAX. There's another flight leaving in an hour from here, going to the same destination. I can get you on another flight to come home, back to Burbank, because my car's in Burbank. I need to go back to Burbank, and they fixed the whole thing, and I walked myself to that terminal restaurant and ate french fries, come on. Because I was an hour, uh, now I'm two hours early. Hey, like, two hours, you said two hours, just for you. Anyway, how do you pray in that situation? Uh, I mean, I've prayed myself out of a lot of jams, but on that situation, I'm not sure how you should pray. And I mentioned that this morning. Uh, We we laugh about it and make some silliness about my irresponsibility and whatnot. But um, especially when it comes to the realm of difficulties, sometimes you might wonder how to pray. How do I pray in this situation? Where do I go from here? What do I even say? How do I beseech God on behalf in this situation? Like, God, how do I, what, where is, the, I don't even know what to communicate to you. Like, I, it's so far beyond my ability to get out of this one. I, I don't even know what to say. Have you ever been there? And especially in the areas that we've been talking about, if you've been here in the last month or so, like, like specifically Hannah dealing with her infertility How do you pray on that one? Like, how do you pray to God on that one? I mean, that is such a heavy, loaded thing on your shoulders. And I know in a church of our size, people have dealt with that in our church. And you're maybe coming in carrying other things. And and you may ask the question, how do I pray? Today we'll ask the question, how do you pray? Is there a formula that that I can keep in mind as it relates to prayer in these situations? Are there principles or values that that I should consider when I pray, like what kinds of prayer is God more likely to value and therefore listen to or or be empathetic towards because I'm praying in the way that he values? If you've ever had questions like that, I think today is gonna be very, very helpful for you to know how I can pray in these situations. Is there a template, so to speak, that I could use that would help me get through whatever it is I'm going through with God? Uh, for that, we're going to be in First Samuel chapter two. If you brought a bound Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it right now. If you have your, if you have your, um, your your phone, please get there. We'll be there. Together in chapter two, verses one through 10. We're looking at the prayers of the righteous person today. And, and I will say that I'm gonna be using the NASB on the screens today. I usually use the ESV, but it just got to, I was reading, it just seems so much more readable in the NASB, and I just decided just for this week, I, I would do that, just because the other one was kind of, you'd have to explain a lot of terms and whatnot. And so uh, we're using NASB today, and the overarching question is, how should we pray when difficult situations in life arise unexpectedly how should we be praying when difficulties of life show up Uh, like what is the formula so to speak or what is the regimen or or the guideline of of what my prayer should look like when like the bottom is falling out on life and we're going to be looking at that today and the first thing we're going to see is that we should pray that God would be exalted not you pray that God would be exalted not you Or if I'm referring to myself, pray that God would be exalted, not me. Like prayer is about setting God apart and making him a little higher, make me a little lower. I'm going to place him on his rightful chair, so to speak, of exaltation. He's the one to be exalted, not me. Uh, And and we're going to see this kind of a theme as we go through this text together. How should we pray when difficulties arise? Unexpectedly, pray that God would be exalted, not you. Let's look at First uh, Samuel chapter one verses 21 through 23. and let's look at Hannah's prayer specifically. It says, "Then Hannah prayed and said, "My heart ex- extols exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation." There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. You can see this terminology. I'm putting him a little higher and taking myself a little lower. Like he's the one to be exalted. I'm the one to be placed lower. Now, she's praying because God's delivered her. Obviously, she's had a child, and this is a prayer of celebration to God, but this is the same kind of, uh, um, um, uh, I want to say, guideline that we would use whether we're celebrating or not, whether we're in the midst of it or not. We want to take God and put him higher and place ourselves, rank ourselves underneath. Uh, we, we see her do that, and so my heart uh, exalts in the Lord my, uh, my, my, my um My horn has been exalted. Now, that's phraseology that we don't use. A horn is something that animals use either in defense or in attack. It's symbolic of strength. And the idea is what she's saying is God has, his strength has come through for me because he's answered my prayer and therefore I now extol the Lord, I I exalt him, I place him higher. And she gives four reasons on why she would do that. The first one is because she rejoices in her salvation. Whenever you see the word salvation in biblical text, just know salvation and deliverance are the same idea. And so you can say, God has delivered her. In her situation, she needed and wanted a child for her husband, and God delivered her, and she delivered a child. Uh, We are delivered as well. We receive salvation as well. We would take this, and the analogy to us would be, God is our salvation. He is our deliverer. He delivered us from sin. Why would I extol the Lord, exalt the Lord higher? Because he's my salvation. He's delivered me. And that's what she's doing. He's the deliverer. He's my salvation. And so I place him higher. She goes on, number two, because there's none holy like our God. He's the holiest being there is. I'm going to put him a little higher. He's up here. I'm down here. The holiest being there is. And that's why I would worship him. That's why I would exalt him. That's why I place him higher. There's no one holier. Uh, Because, number three, because there's none beside you. If you put God side by side by anything, it won't compare. There's nothing that can be beside God, is the idea. He's God, there's none beside. No one has equal level with him. And so he's my salvation, he's holy like no other being, there's none like him, no one can be beside him. And number four, because there is no rock like our God. Rock is a, is, a, is a word used oftentimes in the scripture to describe God. He's our rock, our foundation. He's everything. What she's doing is saying, I'm going to take God, I'm going to place him a little higher, and I'm going to put myself underneath. And that's the first principle when you're coming to pray to God. And maybe it's a situation where he's giving you great victory. Great. You put him higher, you put yourself lower. Maybe you're in the midst of it praying to God to give you that victory. Great. Put him higher place yourself a little lower because he's the deliverer he's the sovereign one he's my salvation there's no god like him and he's my rock and so i'm always going to think of god even in the difficult times and this gets really hard because what what are you saying pastor i'm frustrated with god right now are you telling me i'm supposed to place him higher when i'm frustrated well i would tell you this the only way that you'd be able to do so is if you were to be able to acknowledge that he's a higher being than you are. And that even in the lowness of your valley, he's still God. And so in that, uh, uh, within that context, I can say yes, even in the difficulties, I can still place him higher and place myself underneath. Because that's who he is. Or else prayer is just about me twisting the arm of God to do what I want. Does that make sense? Is is, is God there to serve my desires or am I here to serve God's desires? And so there are some times, believe me, I've seen so many people who are in a prayerful situation. I've had some of these in my life where I prayed and prayed and prayed and wrestled God and God came through. Amen, glory to God. He's higher, I'm lower. And there's been times where I prayed and prayed and prayed for God to come through in a certain way and he didn't come through in the way that I had hoped. Amen, glory to God, he's higher, I'm lower. Does that make sense? It never changes. Yes, he can come through. Yes, pray for him to come through. But if the answer is no or not now, he's higher, I'm lower. And I still worship him because he's my salvation. He's, he's like no other God. There's no one beside him. He's the rock. God should be exalted in our prayers because he... He should be placed in his rightful place and because he's sovereign. How should we pray in difficult situations in life when they arise unexpectedly? Well, number one, pray that God would be exalted, not you. My, my purpose in this prayer is that you'd be exalted, not me. And then my purpose in this prayer is that God would be sovereign and not you. This is number two, uh, that God would be sovereign, not you. Now sovereign is kind of a big theological word, and so if you don't understand it, don't feel like you've missed the boat or something, or, 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 or everybody else understands. It's actually kind of a, a deeper word. It just means to be in control, to be in power over. He's the one who is in charge. He has all power in the world. He's omnipotent. He has all power. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere, all the omnis. He is sovereign over everything. He's in control over everything. Sometimes when we come to God and pray, we want to be in control over something. And yet we have to acknowledge that he's the sovereign one and I'm not. And allow him to be sovereign. How should we pray when difficult situations in life arise unexpectedly? Pray that God would be sovereign and not you. Pray yourself into a position A subordinate position where you can say, he gets to be the sovereign one, not me. I'm going to allow him to be the sovereign one. Let's look at this in verses 3 through 8. It'll be on the screen. It says this. Boast no more uh, so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. He's the one who's weighing all the actions. The Bows of of the mighty are shattered. The feeble gird up in strength. Those who were full uh, hire for themselves out for food, but those who are hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. Why? The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low and also exalts. Uh, verse 8, he raises the poor from the dust, he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and to inherit the seat of honor, for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he set the world on them. We see that God is in control of everything in this. Uh, he is the one who's in control, and so Hannah's saying, be careful, O you who are arrogant. Be careful, you who have a haughty spirit about yourself. You think to yourself, oh man, look what I've done for myself. Wait, God is watching. And let's not forget who God is. He's the one who rights all the wrongs of the world. Uh, the, ba- the bows of the mighty are broken, and, the, and yet the feeble have strength. Uh, some hire, for themse- hire themselves out for food, and yet those who are hungry are satisfied. The barren one produces seven sons, yet the fertile one languishes. And she's certainly talking about herself here. I was this, I was the depressed in the situation. God has lifted me up. Be careful if you're arrogant about your situation. Understand that God is the one who's authoring all those things, He's the one who's in charge of all those things, He's the one who's sovereign over all those things. And the barren one has seven children. Now, she's speaking in a figurative sense. We know that she has five or six kids, but she uses the number seven because of a completeness. I was incomplete. God made me complete, and yet he can still make the one who is fertile feel like she's languishing. God is the writer of all the wrongs. He's the great equalizer. He kills, and then he brings to life. He brings down to Sheol, and yet he raises up. Uh, Sheel is the idea, it's representative uh, of entrance, entrance into the nether world. Uh, it would be um, uh, uh, synonymous with the grave. It is the idea that represents the realm of death. He's the one who authors people to go into the realm of death, and he raises them up too. He's the author of the beginning of life and the end of it. He's sovereign, is the idea. He, he makes the poor rich. He makes the rich poor. He brings the low t- to an exalted place, and he takes those who are exalted and puts them in a low place. He's in charge. He is the sovereign one. He brings the poor from the dust, the ash heap. The literal idea there is a dunghill. I hate to bring that to mind, but that's the literal idea. He can take somebody from a dunghill and raise them up to sit with princes, to Get the honored seat at the table. And there's no doubt, again, she's thinking of herself. I was down here, and God has lifted me up, and I'm praising Him. But I'm acknowledging that He is sovereign, He's in control, not me. And you look at these contrasts the weak become strong and the strong become weak the hungry become full and the full become hungry the barren becomes fertile and the fertile becomes barren the dead become alive and the alive become dead the sick become well the well become sick the poor become rich and the rich become poor the humble become exalted and the exalted become humble just know this no matter where you're at God is sovereign over your situation Watch the haughty, prideful spirit. He's the same God who set the pillars of the earth where they are. If you think of the earth as like a, a building structure, and you have a foundation and pillars, that we build. I'm the one who set the pillars on the foundation of the earth. You do realize that. Be careful of your haughty spirit. The pridefulness, arrogance of the heart. This is, man, I I really made something of myself. And you may be self-made, true enough. And you may have done well for yourself considering the hand that you were dealt. But don't forget the God who dealt the hand to you in the first place and who gave you the ability to make well for yourself. He's sovereign. He's in charge. He's in control. He's the one who put you there and gave you the abilities that you have. In our prayers, We should remember that he is the sovereign one and not us. God, you are higher. I am lower. You're the one who made all this stuff happen for me. I'm over here. And I'm okay with you being in control. In the difficulties of life, it's harder to get there. When God answers the prayer, we're like, yes, I love that he's in control. He came through for me. When he says no or not now, that's where it becomes hard, and that's where we have to discipline ourselves in our Christian spiritual maturity to say, but I still want you to be the sovereign one and not me. You get to be in charge, you get to be in control. This is under your purview, not mine, and I'm okay with it. I am bringing myself to be okay with it. Again, I've seen God come through for me most recently, unbelievably, and there have been times where I asked God for my mother to get through cancer, and he said, no, I'm taking her home. And that's hard for me, because my, my kids have never known their grandparents. Man, it would have been awesome, God, if you would have came through. You'd have been so glorified in that. And God says, yeah, but I also could be glorified if she's with me. We take ourselves and we say, you're sovereign, I'm not, in our prayers. Imagine coming to your God in prayer in a difficult situation, maybe even a situation that you're coming to right now. And when you come to him, desiring to be in control over the situation, you say, but I don't have to have the control. I'm submitting my desires before you, things that I think will glorify you, but I don't have to be in charge. You get to have that one. There's actually something very freeing about that. It goes off your shoulders. Okay, God, this is on you. I'm put it in your realm. You do what you're gonna do. I'm praying for what I would like to see, the things that I think you would get glory over. But at the same time, I want you to be the one being glorified and not me. How should we pray in difficult in uh, uh, difficult situations in life that happen unexpectedly? Well, we should pray that he would be exalted, not me. We should pray that he would be sovereign and not me. And then lastly, we should pray that he would reign and not me. Not you. Pray that he would reign and not you. Let's look at verses 9 and 10 as we look at the end of this beautiful prayer that Hannah made to God in response to his action towards her. He keeps his feet on his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness for not By might shall a man prevail, those who contend with the Lord shall be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth, he will give strength to his king, and will exalt the horn of his anointed. The beginning of the prayer is God has exalted my horn, and the end of the prayer is God will exalt the anointed one's horn, this king who is to come, he will exalt his horn as well. Uh, he is faithful uh, 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 to, to his faithful ones, and yet to the wicked he cuts them off. He is the one who is reigning over all. How should we pray in difficult situations when life Happens unexpectedly. Pray that God would reign and not you. He's the one who authors everything. He's the one who's standing over everything. He's the one who's presiding over it. You reign, not me. I'm okay with you reigning on this one, not me. It doesn't have to be me. You get to be sovereign. You get to reign, not Me. His adversaries, just so you know, are broken into pieces. Uh, He thunders from heaven and judges the whole entire earth. Uh, The idea by an adversary is you think you're coming up against God, and yet God has a contested lawsuit against you. I'm the one in charge. I'm the one reigning over everything. I can obliterate you, and I will. And then she goes on to say he will exalt the horn of this, uh, uh, this anointed one, this king. That is to come. Now there is a double prophecy here. There's a, uh, an initial prophecy and fulfillment, and then a fuller prophecy and fulfillment. the The first prophecy is towards David. We know that the book of Samuel is all about how Samuel gets to anoint the kings of Israel. First, it'll be Saul. By the end of the book, it'll be David, and he anoints the kings of Israel. That to be the initial fulfillment and the uh, the initial. Um, Prophecy and the initial fulfillment. But there is a grander, fuller prophecy and a fuller fulfillment. And that would be of Jesus Christ. Did you see at the very end? He will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his anointed one. So we're talking about David, which would be prophetic because there's no king yet. And that's going to be fulfilled. And we're talking about Jesus Christ who will come one day as the anointed one, the Messiah. And that will be fulfilled as well. Now, interestingly enough, because this is information that's not on the scene, uh, Israel's never had a king at this point. And so many uh, redactionists, higher critics, will uh, post-date the book and say, well, if Hannah really knew that, it must, she must have wrote, this must all be written down afterwards. And this must be like she didn't know, and so they're just writing it into the story because that would be miraculous for her to know something that hasn't happened yet. Now, we as believers in Christ go, we don't need to post-date the book. We just go, no, we believe God gave her insight. And she did predict that, 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 that there would be a coming king in David and a coming king in the Messiah. Now, if you think of it that way, just think of what she's been through. All the years, of I'm not, am I going to have a child? Am I not going to have a child? All the years of Penina, like, you know, uh, you know, teasing her about it. Look at all the kids I have over here. Your husband had to marry me because you couldn't give many. any. I mean... All the years of that until finally God has come through for her. And not only does he come through for her, but she births Samuel, who is going to anoint Saul and anoint David. And by anointing David, she's going to anoint the line that the Messiah was going to come through. That's going to be her legacy on history. And then God goes out of his way to say, I'm going to allow you to have a prophetic utterance of two kings one of which would save the entire world. Hannah, I know this was difficult for you. I know you had a hard time, but I had a plan, a redemptive plan in the end. I knew what I was doing. I knew what I was doing. Let me reign, you don't have to. Let me reign, you don't have to. How beautiful. Now for those of you guys who are note takers, I. I gave you an extra slide this week and take a picture of it. If you're in a growth group, you'll certainly see this again. Uh, we'll put this on the screen. we are gonna take a deeper look at Hannah's prayer here and, and kind of, uh, you know, do some summarization of it. And I just want you to see this pattern. In verses 1 through 3, you see God's holy sovereignty. He's in charge. He's in control. He's sovereign. Uh, in verses four, uh, 4 and 5, you see the reversal of human fortunes. And then... Uh, 6 and 7, you see God's holy sovereignty again. Verse 8 at the beginning, you see the reversal of human fortunes. Verse 8 through 10 is God's holy sovereignty again. and at the very end, you have the thing of God's kingship. Why does this matter? I'll tell you why this matters. This is so huge. Let's look at God's sovereign, and he can reverse human fortunes. God's sovereign, and he can reverse human fortunes. God is sovereign, and by the way, he's bringing a king where he will reverse human fortunes. The reason this is so significant is because Israel for years has been asking for a king. Through the book of Judges, we want a king. Everybody else gets a king, why can't we have a king? Here's the problem with that, you do have a king, you have a theocracy going on, God is your king. But when you want a human king, what are you doing? You're saying, I'm going to reject the king for another king. Everybody else has a king, and they're so proud of their king, and they can see their king, and they can be proud of their king. We want a king like everybody else. Well, in getting that king, you're going to lose the king who is the sovereign one, who is wholly sovereign and reverses human fortunes. You're going to miss all that because you want a human king. You're replacing the divine with something that's going to be in comparison, horrible, as, you, as we'll see through these, through these chapters in 1 Samuel and what we'll goes sideways, as they look to a human king when they had the sovereign one as their king. You're rejecting the one true king, the one who's truly sovereign, the one who can reverse all human fortunes, the one who, provi- who will provide a future king who, by the way, will be rejected in Christ Jesus himself. You see, sometimes in our humanness, we end up rejecting the very thing we need the most. We convince ourselves that we know what's best for ourselves. We convince ourselves that we should be reigning. And appropriate prayers of God say, no, God, you're going to reign, and I'm going to subordinate myself. I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to subordinate myself. I'm going to allow you to be sovereign. I'm going to subordinate myself. And I'm going to allow you to reign. I'm going to subordinate myself. That's would be the proper prayer and mindset that God honors, listens to, values. Why? Because prayer is more about centering our lives around God than it is around centering God around our lives. It's our big idea today. Prayer is more about centering our lives around God than it is centering God around our lives. Do you feel me on that? Prayer is me saying, I'm going to center my life around you, not center you around my life. That would be flipping it upside down. That's the opposite of prayer. I'm gonna make sure that everything I'm going to, going through, is subordinate to you. I'm not gonna subordinate you to what I want to happen in life, so to speak. It's a beautiful prayer, often labeled the song of Hannah because of its lyrical cadence, because of its hymn-like style. It it mirrors a lot of elements in the song of David in in 2 Samuel chapter 22. It mirrors a lot of elements in the song of Mary in Luke chapter 1. But all these prayers and songs are God-centered, not I-centered. Like my prayer life needs to be God-centered, not me centered i got to make sure that he is the one, the main thrust of this whole thing, not me. Why? Because prayer is more about centering our lives around God than it is about centering God around our lives. You know, I think it's so easy for me, maybe I could just be honest for all of us, it's so easy for me to come to a prayerful mindset where everything is like me-centered, I-centered. It's all about me, like I'm praying for me. Like God is serving me, not me serving God. Do you ever struggle with that? Like I come to him with like this, maybe even subconsciously like this cosmic Santa list, you know, and that's what prayer is for, right? We come to you and you give us what we want, you know? And if I haven't been naughty and I have been nice, then you give it to me, right? And sometimes we can view prayer that way. And again, I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray for things you desire, I'm saying, pray for things that you desire, things that you think could give God glory, but then subject the request under him. God, I really think that if you allowed me to get through this sickness, if you cleared me of this cancer, you would get glory because I would go and tell everybody God's, God's come through for me and I was praying and, and I would give you so much glory and use the rest of my days that I feel like I have a second lease on life. I'll use them for you. You'll get glory out of it. But even if you don't, you still are the sovereign one. You still get to reign and I will still exalt you. Do you see how the difference? Pray for your desires but subject them to the sovereignty and glory of God what glorifies him the most i want what glorifies you more than i want what i want for my request real quickly jesus prayed in john chapter 17 to the father saying would you take this cup of suffering away from me do you remember that In his humanity, he could not bear the thought of bearing the sin of the world on his shoulders. In his divinity, he knew that's exactly why he came. But in his humanity, in a real moment, would you you take this cup away from me? And God said what? No. And because of that no, the world received salvation. Paul asked God three times, would you deliver me from this thorn in the flesh? 2 Corinthians chapter twelve, verses eight through ten. I could see how it would give you glory. I would tell everybody, "Look how God comes through for His apostles." He writes this little line at the end of all of his epistles. Almost, I write this with my own hand in large writing. You know, we think the reason he was saying this that something was going on with eyes. He was either blind or something. He was going blind. God, would you take this thorn out of my side? If you allow me to see, I could do more for you in your glory. I could do more for you on this earth. Three times I prayed for it, and three times he said no. It'll be good for you to have a thorn. You'll rely on me. You won't have haughtiness of being an, an apostle. It'll keep you by my side in your weakness. I will get glory. My grace will be made sufficient for you. In uh, my power will be perfected in your weakness. Second Corinthians chapter twelve verse nine. I can get more glory with you from you in the thorn in the flesh than if you didn't have it. God, I came. I thought it would glorify you, but I want you to have more glory. I want you to be glorified the most and if me keeping that thorn in the flesh then I'll keep it. So that the man who whose handkerchief would be sent to people who were sick to be healed could not heal himself. And it makes sense. Because our prayers ought to be more about God's glory than our own. I don't know if he wants to, or if it's in his will to solve the infertility issues. I don't know if it's within his will to clear you of cancer. I don't know if it's within his will to resurrect the relationship that's ended in an unwanted divorce. I don't know. But I can tell you this, we ought to want what he would get the most glory out of in every one of those situations as hard as it would be to get there. That's why we get on our knees, that's why we pray, that's why we cry. Here's what I want, but I know more than anything, I want what you have first. I want you to be exalted, I want you to be sovereign, and I want you to reign. And I subject myself to that. But I could see how you get glory if you would do this for me. Prayer is more about centering our lives around God than it is around centering God around our lives. Remember that in your prayers, Father, I'm sensitive to those people who have been going through a lot I feel like they're carrying the weight of the world and as much as they're trying they're trying to get there and acknowledge that you're in charge and you're sovereign and you're in control and you get to reign that's hard. Would you meet them there in the midst of the confusion in the midst of the angst in the midst of the hardship? In the midst of not being able to settle their own heart with you, would you wrap your arms around them, remind them that you're there, that you'll always be there, and that you're not scared of their questions? I ask that you to do it. In the name of Jesus, amen.
1: Amen. Thanks, Pastor Dave. Maybe today is the day that you want to decide to make God the center of your life. And if that's true, if you would let us know so that we can follow up. You can put it on a card that just says, today I've decided to follow Jesus. And we want to walk that journey with you. We're going to continue in our worship through giving. And there's three ways to give that will come up on the screen. You can either text to give, go to camccnet slash give online, or there's an offering box in the lobby. Let me pray. God, we thank you that you are sovereign. We thank you that you are in control. And Lord, sometimes it's so difficult to remember that when it comes to finances. Lord, as for some of us, that's our security, God. So I just pray that we release that to you. And that we would continue, Lord, to remember and to lean into your sovereignty to put you at the center of our lives. We love you and we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. take a look at what's coming up.
4: Hey, CamCC, I'm Abby Lumberg, the new director of our hospitality team. I'm so happy you're here with us. If you are a first, second, or third time guest, we have some great gifts for you at the welcome counter to thank you for checking us out today. I'm talking Starbucks gift cards, thirst-quenching mugs, and all-you-can-eat dessert. Mark your connection cards if this is your first, second, or third time with us. Or if you're online watching, go to camcc.net forward slash next steps. There are a lot of great things coming up here at CAMCC. Who will you ask to join you? February 22nd, Seven Seas is registering the new 23 through 24 school year, beginning for members of CamRio Community Church. New student registration begins on March 1st. March 3rd, Middle School Carnival Night. We're talking inflatables, carnival games, prizes, and a mechanical bull. Say what? It's going to be awesome. For more info, chat with or email jacob at camcc.net. March 14th, worship night. Join us at 7 p.m. for a powerful night of worship, prayer, and scripture. If you haven't checked one of these out yet, save the date and bring a friend. April 3rd through the 7th, we have our Mexico missions trip. Save the date, middle schoolers and high schoolers. For more info, talk with or email zach at kmcc.net. To stay in the loop of what's going on here at CAMCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to CAMCC.net.
0: Today, Dave talked about control. Control is so hard to give up, isn't it? Um, Especially just when you've got those things in your mind that you know you just don't want to let go of. But I know that when there's times that I allow God to be sovereign in my life, and I take those steps forward to allow Him to take control of those situations, that He's going to answer those prayers. And it might not always be in the way that I expect, but I know it's going to be in a way where He will be glorified, and I can use that to help somebody else who is going through a similar situation. So I encourage you, no matter how hard it is, allow God to be sovereign in those situations in your life. I'm Kimmy Reed. I'm one of the worship leaders here at CamCC. If it is your first, second, or third time here with us, please go to the welcome counter because we have a gift for you, and I know our wonderful people there would love to meet you. For those of you who are watching online, please go to camccnet slash nextsteps and let us know that you are here with us today. I want to encourage you to also reach out to those around you, invite them to come to church with you, and we would love to meet them with you next week. Thank you so much for being here and we'll see you next week. God bless you all.